question for you as I begin this morning. Are there any, any people here who could raise a hand and say they've lived a, a, they've lived a, a mistake-free life so far? Anybody? Um, mistake-free lives right now. I just, you guys, I don't believe you in the back there. I don't believe you. Two troublemakers in the sound room. Just don't mess with my microphone, okay? That's not good, is it? Good thing I can talk loud, right? Mistakes. We all make them, right? Some of us make more than others. You could look at my life and say, yep, some people make way more mistakes than other people do. I had to laugh when I read this uh, following advertisement reportedly appeared in a, in a daily newspaper on Monday. It read like this, The Reverend A.J. Jones has one color TV set for sale, telephone 626-1313, after 7 p.m., and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who lives with him, cheap. <laughs> Tuesday. We regret any embarrassment caused to Reverend Jones by a typographical error in yesterday's paper. The ad should have read, The Reverend A.J. Jones has one color TV set for sale, cheap. Telephone 626-1313 and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who lives with him after 7 p.m. Wednesday. The Reverend A.J. Jones informs us that he has received several annoying telephone calls because of an incorrect ad in yesterday's paper. It should have read, The Reverend A.J. Jones has one color TV set for sale, cheap. Telephone 626-1313 after 7 p.m. and ask for Mrs. Donnelly, who loves with him. (laughs) Thursday. Please take notice that I, the Reverend A.J. Jones, have no color TV set for sale. I have smashed it. (laughs) Don't call 626-1313 anymore. I have not been carrying on with Mrs. Donnelly. She was, until yesterday, my housekeeper. Friday. Wanted a housekeeper. Usual housekeeping duties, good pay, love in, Reverend A.J. Jones, telephone 626-1313. Mistakes. Mistakes are inevitable in publishing the newspaper, right? I was reading a book last night that I found a mistake in. You ever find one? Published in books, right? A misprint, you know, the, the word T-O instead of the word T-O-O. That's an easy one, right? Mistakes, they're inevitable in printing and publishing and in life, aren't they? Mistakes are inevitable in life. There's something else that's inevitable, and yet we make it out to be so inevitable that we like to relabel it, and that thing is called sin. Sin also seems to be inevitable, so much so that many people have begun to call sin by some other name. You ever hear that? You ever do that yourself? Maybe you have. Sometimes we give sin a different kind of label, one that doesn't sound so bad. You know, It's very common to hear people who've done wrong, who have sinned, call their sin a mistake, Right? Call their wrong and sinful actions mistakes. 
or errors. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman told of a distinguished minister, Dr. Howard from Australia, who preached very strongly on the subject of sin. After the service, one of the church officers came to counsel with him in the study. Dr. Howard, he said, we don't want you to talk so openly as you do about man's guilt and corruption. Because we're concerned that if our boys and girls hear you discussing that subject, they will more easily become sinners. Call it a mistake, if you will. But don't speak so plainly about sin. The minister took down a small bottle and showing it to the visitor said, You see that label? It says strychnine. And underneath in bold red letters the word poison. Do you know, man, what you're asking me to do? You are suggesting that I change the label. Suppose I do and paste over the words essence of peppermint. Don't you see what might happen? Someone would use it not knowing the danger involved and would certainly die. So it is, too, with the matter of sin. The milder you make your label, the more dangerous you make your poison. He's right. That's the danger of living in a culture as we do that doesn't like to label sin as sin. We'd rather call it a mistake or an error in judgment. And that it might be, but it's also a sin. You know, our, na- our new names for sin and our new labels for sin often become, and this is danger too, often become excuses to remain in that sin. Reasons to justify sinful behavior. We'd rather talk about our mistakes and our failures, wouldn't we, than, than our sin. We'd rather talk about our, our shortcomings. That's the way I was made. And I, you know, that's just a shortcoming and a struggle that I have. We would rather talk about our sin that way, wouldn't we? But this kind of thinking, it's unfortunate, but it creeps into the life of a believer. It creeps into the life of a church, and it does so when, when that kind of thinking goes unchecked by what God's Word says about sin. You see, God's church at Higgins Lake and God's church in the world can't afford to overlook the matter of sin and to relabel it and to think about it in some other term than what it is, an offense to God. God's people can't afford to look at sin and go, well, you know, it's just a mistake. It's just a poor judgment. It's a, it's a shortcoming. It's sin and it's an offense to God. It offends a holy God who cannot tolerate sin. Unfortunately, that that kind of thinking does creep into the life of the believer and it does creep into the life of the church when that kind of thinking is unchecked by God's Word. And we could easily follow and often do follow the pattern of the world and attribute sinful behavior to some sort of physical problem. You can blame it on a physical ailment or a health problem or health issues. We blame it on, or we blame it on poor upbringing. Who could do that, right? All of us could look at our parents, sinners, right? Imperfect people and go, they could have done that better. All of us could point the finger at someone else and say, well, but he, 
you know I'm a parent of eight children, you know. So in our house, we get a lot of but he, you know. Rarely, very rarely, we get a but she, you know. <laughs> Poor Christy. So. Christy's perfect. <laughs> Trying to make her perfect, anyway. It happens, right? You go to your children, and what happens? Why? Would you please tell me? Why did you do that? He did it first, right? What's startling is that we never grow out of that, do we? And the world we live in has not grown out of that stage in, of childhood, have they? And that creeps into our thinking in our life. We go, but, 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 but he, you know, or but she, or my parents, you know, growing up, they were imperfect. You know what God's Word says? God's Word reminds us that you and I are responsible for our own choices. We're responsible for our own actions. Yes, I would agree that some people have it very rough in their upbringing. Some people are very mistreated by other people, and God forbid, that's a sad thing. But God's Word makes it very plain and clear that each of us are, are responsible for our own actions. It's much easier to play that blame game, though, isn't it? It's much easier to do that than take responsibility for our own actions, our own sins. But God's Word makes this very clear. And you know this. All have sinned. Everyone has sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, says Romans 3.23. For the wages of sin, you know, there's a just penalty for sin. There's a, there's a just penalty for that offense to God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. You see, we all are sinners. We all have sinned. And yet, I think we all struggle with kind of writing off some types of sin. We all kind of, from time to time, excuse and write off certain kinds of sin as, well, that's, you know, just a little white lie. I was just sharing a prayer request. I wasn't gossiping, you know. I was just so you could pray more wisely, right? We do that. Or we don't want to sound harsh and unloving with folks who have sin problems, who have serious sin issues. And we don't want to sound harsh and unloving, so we kind of skirt the real issue and give a multitude of excuses for sinful behavior. Well, I understand that, you know, you're in a difficult situation and, and, you know, God understood too. And you know how God dealt with that problem? He sent a sacrifice for our sins. There's another issue that we deal with that we must think about and deal with when it comes to our sins. Satan has real victory in our lives when we won't admit that sin plagues us. That sin plagues our families. Sin plagues our friends and our loved ones and those people we're trying to bring to Christ. Sin plagues them. We do ourselves a disservice and we give Satan great victory when we refuse to admit that sin has a stranglehold on this world that we live in. And Satan loves it when we point the finger and shift the blame and when, when the reality is, is that we are sinful. We're all sinners. We are a fallen people. 
living in the midst of a sinful and fallen world. What we need to do as followers of Jesus Christ is call sin, sin in our own lives. And get the log out of our own eye first, right? And call sin, sin, and then deal with a speck in our brother's eye. We need to call sin, sin. Thomas Whitelaw described sin by saying that in the Old Testament, three words were used to supply a full definition of sin. First, the word transgression, or a falling away from God, and therefore a violation of His commandments. You see, sin's a violation of God's commandments. He also said another word, the word sin is used, or a missing of the mark, a coming short of one's duties, a failure to do what one ought. And the third word used in the Old Testament that Thomas Whitelaw emphasizes is the word iniquity. He says, or a turning aside from the straight path, curving like an arrow, hence perversity or depravity. That's how God's word defines our mistakes, our sin. In our study in the book of Colossians, last week we saw that if we're going to be heavenly minded, if we're going to think on things above, that there are some earthly things that we're going to have to put to death that are in our lives. We're going to have to set apart, set, set ourselves apart and set about putting to death the things of this world that still remain in us, that lead us to sin against God. Those things are sin. We saw some very specific sins listed that need to be put to death. In verse 8 of Colossians 3, there are even more. There are more specific sins listed there that we need to put away and be done with as believers. But this morning, we're going to turn, to our, turn our attention to the next verse in our study, which is Colossians chapter 3, verse 7. Would you turn there with me this morning? Would you take your copy of God's Word and look with me at verse 7 in Colossians chapter 3? I want to turn your attention to this next verse in our study, verse 7 in Colossians 3. We're going to make two observations this morning about this verse. And they're going to help us understand better the reality of sin and the remedy for sin. The reality of sin and the remedy for sin, I wouldn't want to give you the one without the other. I could give you the remedy for sin, but if you didn't understand that you're a sinner, you could care less. If I told you about the reality of sin, without the remedy for sin, you'd be hopeless. And verse 7 gives us both. First, we'll get the bad news. But we're not going to stop with the bad news, okay? I always like bad news first. Here's bad news first. But there's good news. The best news in the world is where we're going to conclude this morning. First, the reality of sin, the bad news. Look at verse 7. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. In these, you too once walked. Now just back up with me and look at the word these. What does the word these refer to? Well, I'll tell you, it's pointing back to verse 5. Would you look at verse 5 for a moment with me where it says that little phrase, what is earthly in you? Look at verse 5 again. Put to death, therefore, 
what is earthly in you. And then Paul names names, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, all of, all of those things relate to sexual sin, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul gets very specific, doesn't he? That there are some earthly things in us that every one of us could likely be tempted with. Every one of us could be tempted to sin in these areas. But he says in verse 7, he says, you too once walked. You too once walked in that way. The word too, the little T-O-O word, you know what that means? It means I learned in English grammar, it's also, right? Whenever you see two, it's also. That means that they and we are not alone. <laughs> We're not alone. You probably weren't thinking about it this morning when you came in and everyone greeted you and we got up and greeted one another early in the service. Did you know that, I don't break the news to you this morning, but did you know that you were shaking hands with a sinner? Did you think about that? You might want to think first, think, think first before doing that again. You know, if we did that, there would be no more exchanges in handshakes, right? There would be no more friendly hugs that we get. No more, howdy, how are, you? how are you this morning? You know, we go, well, I'm not talking to a sinner. Well, you're going to be lonely, right? Because we're all sinners. You too. You also once walked in these. The two implies to the Colossian believers and to us that they and we aren't alone in this. Others were walking that way also. Now, we don't have to read very far in God's Word to be confronted with the reality of sin. Sin is real. So why do we once walk that way? The Bible answers that question for us. Why do we once walk in sin? Well, the reason the Colossian believers once walked that way is because, it kind of seems redundant though, doesn't it? They all have sinned. Everyone is a sinner. All have sinned. That's why he can confidently say, you too once walked this way. That's why I can confidently say to you this morning, and I may offend you, but you're a sinner. God's Word makes it clear that we all are. And that's why Paul could say, you too walked this way. Now the reason we once walked that way is because all have sinned. Everyone has sinned. God's Word is very clear that everyone has sinned. I want to drive that point home this morning just in case you have any question about that. There are many passages that talk about this. Psalm chapter 58 verse 3 says, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. Don't tell me. The children aren't born sinners. I have lots of experience with newborns. Not as much as my wife. I'll give her that. But we both have a lot of experience with newborn babies and how they act when they want something. Babies are so cute. We saw a little two-month-old baby yesterday. Little innocent little baby. Cute little thing. I wasn't around when he was screaming and crying. But that happens, doesn't it? You know, a baby, if he was sinless, well, how would a baby tell you that 
he's got a dirty diaper. Of a, he, he wouldn't, you know. He would just take bear it. He was just waiting until you got around to changing him. A sinless baby would go. It's okay. I'm not here. You know, I'm here to make you happy. He's, the baby would just coo and smile. The only thing a baby knows how to do, right, is scream his head off when he needs something like a drink, <laughs> some food, or that diaper changed, right? Or when they get tired. Babies get cranky when they get tired. I do too. I have not grown out of that. And maybe you haven't either. But babies are born sinners, all right? Psalm 58, verse 3 makes it clear. Isaiah 53, verse 6 also says, All we, like sheep, what's the nature of a lamb, a sheep? The nature is to kind of just wander off, right? Verse 6 in Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, and he's talking about Christ, the iniquity of us all. There's the remedy we see there in Isaiah 53. Also the reality of sin. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Some of your translations say, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 say this, As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to the first three verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. There's that once walked again. Look at that. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. That's that once walked idea again. We once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Are you getting the idea yet? Everyone, all of us, are sinners. Yes, sin is very real, and the consequences of sin are very real. God's Word is clear that the just wage for sin is what? It's death, isn't it? That's where we all start. You need to know that, that we all start deserving the just penalty for sin, death. If you die in your sins, if you die without coming to the realization that you need to confess to God that you are a sinner in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ, if you die in your sin, you face eternal consequences. Hell is a real place. It's a real place of punishment and torment. 
In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Hell is a real place. It's a real place of eternal torment, and it's where we're all headed unless we come to this point and say, Yes, God, I realize I am a sinner, and I realize I do not deserve forgiveness, but I ask for it in Jesus' name. I believe in Jesus Christ, and because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your salvation. Now, you don't have to use words just like that, but that's the main idea. You've got to confess that you're a sinner, and you've got to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And refusing to do that, refusing to repent of that sin, refusing to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, leaves you with the just penalty for your sin. But I want you to note, I told you we'd finish with good news, okay? I want you to note there's a remedy for sin. We've talked about it already. It's true that all have sinned. I want you to notice, though, that Paul uses the word walked. Walked. Walk with the E-D on the end. Look at verse 7 again, Colossians 3. In these you too once walked when you were, another past tense word, living in them. If you are a child of God, that's the way you walked. That's the way we walked before Christ. We were bound by sin. We were prisoners to sin. We could do nothing but sin. You know, as an unbeliever, before you came to Christ, you might have done some good things, but those things are like rubbish. God's Word makes it clear that our good works are like rubbish when it comes to earning salvation because those good things don't account or amount to anything when it comes to earning salvation. Only the shed blood of Jesus Christ earns salvation. See, if you're a child of God, that's the way you once walked, bound in those sins headed for your just penalty. Walked is in the past tense. Were is in the past tense. Those are good words for us as followers of Christ. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, those are wonderful words. Those are, those, that's the way we once walked. That's the way we were. You know, that means that there's a remedy for the reality of sin. A remedy. Don't you love a remedy? I love a good remedy. When I've got a cold or something like that, I have a remedy. I have a certain kind of thing that I use every time I get a cold, and sometimes it doesn't quite work the way I hope it should. But I'll tell you what, the remedy for sin is for sure. The remedy for sin is certain. There's no wondering about whether it's going to work for this person or for that person because God's remedy for sin is Jesus Christ. We can be free from the bondage of sin. How is it, though, that those who once walked in that way no longer do. It's because of Jesus Christ. I want to look back to chapter 2. Would you do that? Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Because it's there that we see this pointer to Christ again, where Paul says to the Colossian believers, Colossians 2, 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. The Colossians believers had received Jesus as Lord. 
They had a new way of walking. They once walked in sinfulness, but now because of Jesus Christ, they no longer walk that way. Listen, you were once bound to sin before you gave your life to Christ, before you repented of your sin and trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You were bound to sin. You couldn't do anything but sin. And all your good works were as worthless as filthy rags. But when you give your life to Christ and trust Him as Lord and Savior, you have a new walk. You are given a new nature. You have a new walk in Jesus Christ, only found through the blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And you no longer walk the old way. And you know the way the Colossian believers walked in Christ was was a process of getting their thinking right. Because I I know you might be thinking this, you might be thinking, but wait a minute, I, I, I still sin. I still sin. It, and I still struggle with sin at times, and I still find myself having to, having to confess that I'm a sinner to God and repent and ask for His help. But once again, I say that's good news that you're able to do that, that you're able to go to God and confess your sin and ask for His help because it's by His power, by the residing power of the perfect sinless Holy Spirit in you that you're able to walk the new walk. It's why Paul emphasizes earlier in Colossians 3.2, and I talked about it last week in the morning and evening, and, and again this morning we're going to talk about it, setting your minds in the right place. That's why Paul says, Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Paul knew that the only way the Colossian believers would ever walk in Christ was if they put their minds on the heavenly. Did they have to deal with the earthly? Do you have to deal with the earthly? Absolutely. We're no different than the Colossian believers are. They had to deal with the earthly. They had to live on earth. They had to deal with a sinful culture. They had to deal with day-to-day things, and so do you. But you are to be in the world while not being of the world. You're to be a part of the world while the world's not supposed to be a part of you. And so Paul says in verse 2, set your minds right. Put them in the right place. Put them on heavenly things. See, he knew that the only way the Colossian believers would ever walk in Christ was to think right. So much of your actions stem from your thinking. All of your actions stem from your thinking. And if you're going to do right, if you're going to walk in this new walk with Christ faithfully day by day, if you're going to enjoy this new fellowship with Christ that you have as a believer of Jesus Christ, you need to set your thinking on things above. You know what that means for you and me? It means get in the Word. You cannot afford to go through your day without God's Word changing your thinking because you are assaulted, and I am assaulted by this world that we live in, by the media. There are all kinds of forms of media today that we can pour into our lives from every direction without even taking, lifting a finger and taking much effort on our part that we do have to make an effort to think on things above, to, to bury yourself in the Word, to put God's Word into your heart, make it so much a part of you that you begin to live it out, that you begin to go, you know what, this applies to this area of my life. I'm going to obey God's Word here. I'm not going to do what the world thinks is right. I'm going to do what God says is right. And you know that it's the Lord Jesus Christ It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ for your sin and mine that makes this all possible. It was Jesus' shed blood on the cross. His death 
paid the price, covered the debt of the penalty for our sin. I want you to look at one more passage of God's Word this morning before we finish. Would you turn there with me? Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. And this is a beautiful picture of the love of God toward us and giving to us this new walk that Paul speaks of. God has given us, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given this new walk. This is the new walk that you are now walking in if you are Jesus' child, a child of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, I want to read them to you. I want you to look at them. Gives us this beautiful picture of the love of God toward us and giving to us this new walk. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Do you see it? This is ours. As a child of God, this is ours through the power of the shed blood of Christ on our behalf. This is something you can't earn. This is a gift of God. Again and again we see this reminder in this passage about the grace of God. God's unmerited favor. Favor we don't deserve, we cannot earn. And verse 10, For we are His workmanship. God is doing a work in your heart if you are yielded to Him, if you're a student of His Word, if you desire to please Him with your life. He will do a work in you helping you walk His walk. And to mortify or kill or put to death the things of the earth that are in you. I read to you earlier the first few words of Romans 6.23, which reminded us that the wages of sin is death, the reality of sin. What I didn't read was the remainder of that passage which talks about the remedy for sin being Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, the rest of the verse says, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you enjoying? Have you taken a full measure? Have you accepted the remedy for sin? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you come to the point in your life when you realize, I am, I am a sinner. I can't get to God on my own. There's nothing I can do to earn salvation. I am going to be punished if I don't repent. I repent of my sin. I am a sinner. I believe in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? 
I urge you this morning to think seriously about your own heart and life. Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you enjoying the remedy for sin? If you have come to the point where you've begun to enjoy the remedy for sin, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, are you faithfully, and that's what it takes, a faithful day-by-day walk with Christ, are you faithfully walking with Christ, walking that new walk with Him? That's hard, isn't it? To daily, faithfully walk with Christ in Him, in the Word, praying, Yielding to the Holy Spirit's work in you. Yielding to what God's Word commands. But the evidence that you are His will be that you will walk the walk. You will walk with Christ. There will be progress made. What happens when you walk, especially forward? You get somewhere, right? You ought to be making progress in Christ. Perfect? I'm not suggesting you be perfect. I'd be happy if you try. Like my mom always said, just be good, right? I'd be happy if you'd try. We ought to try for perfection, right? Let's not give up on that. Because you know why? Because of Jesus Christ. We have the perfect, sinless Holy Spirit alive in us to help us walk with Christ. You have that Holy Spirit alive at work within you to help you. And it's because, as the hymn says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. What happened to the stain? He washed it white as snow. Praise God. Father in heaven, we praise you. We praise God for the remedy for sin. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for bringing to us and bringing to our mind's eyes and bringing to our hearts the reality of our own sin. God, help us to not live a day without realizing what you have done for us and allowing your Son, Jesus Christ, to be sacrificed on a cross for us. Because you, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which you have loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were not seeking You, You made us alive together with Christ. It is because Your grace toward us that we have been saved. And we can take great hope and joy in that. Lord, may Your children today be greatly encouraged to live for You day by day, faithfully walking that new walk that You've already given us, that You've already paid the price for through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray if there's some soul here today who's never trusted in Jesus Christ, that they would do so right now. That they would repent that they are sinners. That they would believe in Jesus Christ for the saving of their soul. God, help them to go to prayer in you right now. And Lord, we come before you asking for your wisdom and strength for the week ahead as we go out into a world that likes to give sin a, a pretty and comfortable name. Help us to go into this world realizing that we are lights amidst the darkness to point people to the remedy for the reality of sin. Point them to Jesus Christ. Help us to do that with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.